Welcome to another episode of About Mansfield. I'm Steve Casillo, always broadcasting from the Cellmark Studios, along with Colleen Daniel and the About Mansfield News Team. We are your audio newspaper, and we are closing in on number 100, as this is episode 93, and we thank you for being here with us. Coming up on the episode, it's Mansfield news, sports, and weather for the upcoming week. And a little later in the episode, you will have a chance to win $25 worth of Primo Bucks, redeemable at El Primo's or The Vault, with our Mansfield Trivia Question of the Week. Let's take a look at the stories we're covering this week. New Orleans-themed 5K promises to let the good times roll. The COVID-19 epidemic may have leveled off in Mansfield. In sports, we have the results of last week's MISD football games and who plays this week. Coming up in the features section. Science reporter Dennis Webb ponders the question, what is science? Is your diet leaving you hungry for more? Well, I have the ingredients for satisfaction. I'm Katrina Brown in this week's Texas Health Tip of the Week. In this week's Cocktail of the Week segment, I'll be talking to you about a cocktail that has a tendency to sneak up on you. We have the seven-day weather forecast. And in the talk segment, Steve celebrates Hispanic Heritage Month with Mansfield resident Daryl Perez. We are Mansfield's only source for news, talk, and information. This is About Mansfield. Did you know Southwestern Adventist University is located right in our backyard? With a small, safe campus, SWAU provides a Christ-centered learning environment with hands-on experiences and dedicated professors. For a limited time, local freshmen enrolling for fall 2021 will receive a stackable $3,000 scholarship. Interested in becoming a nurse? Earn your bachelor's in nursing at Southwestern Adventist University. Learn more at swau.edu. Hey, business owners, have you thought about growing your business through social media but don't know where to start? Never fear. I'm Sonia Salazar, and Wise Media Group is here offering coaching for do-it-yourself social media marketing, or we can do it for you. We have packages for every budget. Wise Media Group specializes in organic Facebook and Instagram growth. Let's get Mansfield businesses connected in 2021. Give us a call for a free 30-minute consultation at 817 817- That's 817-913-2989. Or find us on social media at Wise Media Group. That's Wise, W-Y-S-E, Media Group on Facebook and Instagram. Wise Media Group, helping you make wise social media marketing decisions in 2021. Hi, I'm Richard Nevins, the Economic Development Director for the City of Mansfield, and you're listening to About Mansfield. Welcome back to About Mansfield. Everybody loves a party here in Mansfield, especially when a little physical fitness is involved. So you do a little running, and then there's a big party at the end. And with us on the phone is Amy. She's the director of the NOLA 5K coming up here in mid-October. Amy, welcome to About Mansfield. Thanks for having me. NOLA, of course, stands for New Orleans, Louisiana. Tell us about the NOLA 5K that's coming up. NOLA 5K, it's more than a race. We're going to bring you an experience. We will have DJs. We will have food trucks. We'll have local vendors. And we'll top everything off with a New Orleans-style after-race party. And it's featuring a second line, which is a parade where we follow a brass band and we enjoy music, dance, and engage in unity. So it's kind of like unity in the community. Unity in the community. That's yep. There's your marketing line right there. 
Now, New Orleans is one of my favorite cities in the entire country, and so I definitely know what a second line is. And so that includes uh, the the handkerchief, correct? Absolutely, and we will have some. We will have personalized NOLA 5K handkerchiefs, especially for the second line. When does this NOLA 5K happen? Um, October 23rd. It starts at 4.30. The 5K begins at 5 sharp. Um, We start at the lot, and then we have party buses. We're going to act as shuttles, and they're going to take us to Town East Park. After we do the 5K, that route, we're going to head back over to the lot. It's a half a mile, so it's only a two-minute drive, and we're going to party. The second line brass band parade starts at 7 p.m. sharp. And after that, we have world-renowned DJ, and he's going to bring some Zotico music. Everybody loves Zotico. So we're going to bring the spirit of New Orleans to the heart of Mansfield. Now, our listeners like not only physical fitness and 5Ks, but they also like discounts. And you have a discount <laughs> code for them to, to use in the event that they want to register for the 5K? Absolutely. You use the code NOLA5K and you receive $10 off your registration. And the website is NOLA5K. That's N-O-L-A-5K.net. That's right. Amy, I sure appreciate it. Saturday, October 23rd, the NOLA5K, 4.30 to 10 p.m. at the lot downtown. Amy, les les bon temps roulés. Let the good times roll. Amy, I appreciate your time and um, we'll, we'll see you on the 23rd. Thank you. Thank you so much. The COVID-19 epidemic appears to be leveling off here in Mansfield. With the numbers, here's science reporter Dennis Webb. Dennis? Thank you, Steve. The city of Mansfield saw a second decrease in weekly new cases reported this past week at 166. Back in May, this weekly number was below 50. Seven new fatalities here this past week, the highest number we've seen since February. The whole month of June saw only one fatality in Mansfield. 50% of Mansfield citizens 12 years old or older are fully vaccinated, according to county reporting, a small increase over the week before. Public health analysts suggest we need to get around to around 70% to be able to stop or contain the viral spread. Mansfield Independent School District identified 199 active cases among students and staff at the end of last week, a third week of decline. Tarrant County's overall trend suggests the same leveling off from a wave. 830 fellow Tarrant County citizens were in one of the county's hospitals with the virus at the end of last week. This is the fourth week of decline in this number. Early in June, there were only 80 Tarrant County citizens in the hospital with COVID. 126 fellow Tarrant County citizens were reported to have passed away from the virus this past week, the third week of increase. The county's test positivity rate remains at 19%, meaning a lot of infected citizens have not yet been diagnosed. Community spread remains estimated as high. Texas statewide trends are similar. Tarrant County Public Health officials recommend that all eligible citizens get vaccinated. From the Science Desk at About Mansfield, I'm Dennis Webb. In sports, only one game last week, but it was a big win for the 3-2 and two Summit Jaguars as they routed Legacy 41-0. Legacy has yet to win a game this season. The three remaining district teams had the week off. In district play, Summit now tops the 5A1 Region 1 District 4 football standings with a 2-0 record and will defend their first place ranking as they take on the tied for third 1-1 Richland Royals this Friday night at R.L. Anderson starting at 7 p.m. Also this Friday night, under 
under the lights, Lake Ridge takes on Duncanville at Newsom, 7.30 kickoff. On the road this week, the Mansfield Football Tigers travel to Waco Midway. Timberview also travels to Waco, goes head-to-head with the University Trojans, while Legacy hits the road to Birdville. Just a reminder, you can always find the MISD football schedule for all five district teams on our website, aboutmansfield.com. Click on the Links tab. Saturday is National Motorcycle Ride Day, which takes place annually on the second Saturday in October and encourages all motorcyclists in the United States to get out one last time before the end of the riding season. Use the day to escape on your motorcycle, have some fun, relieve some stress, and really enjoy the thrills and the freedom that riding a motorcycle has to offer. So how does one observe or partake in National Motorcycle Ride Day? It's very simple. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway, look for some adventure in whatever comes your way. Be a true nature's child because you were born, born to be wild. Will the weather hold up for National Motorcycle Ride Day? Let's check our 70s wild child. Colleen? I am not useful if we're looking for a 70s wild child, Steve. I was pretty boring in the 70s, and there's no motorcycle in my world to take out on National Motorcycle Ride Day, but I'm sure that the weather will be totally groovy on Saturday for those who plan to celebrate National Motorcycle Ride Day. Let's take a look at the weather for the next seven days in Mansfield, Texas. We'll be in the low to mid-80s for a couple of days before we head back up to highs in the low 90s again. Lows will start out in the 60s and be around 70 degrees by the weekend. It should be dry until early next week when rain chances go up a little bit. All in all, a gorgeous, mostly sunny and warm week. Meanwhile, the Tarrant Regional Water District suggests that recent rainfall will allow many sprinklers to remain off this week. Some lawns were not as lucky and may need up to a half inch of irrigation. Be sure your sprinklers aren't wasting water. You can view a map of watering recommendations for North Texas, as well as water-saving tips at waterisawesome.com. Coming up after the break, we turn the page to the features section. So, when we come back in 60 seconds, science reporter Dennis Webb talks science. Health specialist Katrina Brown has the Texas Health Tip of the Week, and Brian Certain serves up a Cocktail of the Week. Also, coming up later in the episode, the Mansfield Trivia Question, and Steve celebrates Hispanic Heritage Month with Mansfield resident Daryl Perez. Stay with us. I'm Colleen Daniel, and this is About Mansfield. Your logo or emblem defines who you are, so why not show it off with custom printed shirts? I'm Dana Wood with Ohana Screen Printing. We are a custom screen printing company and can print your design or help you create a new design. While t-shirts are our specialty, we can print on all kinds of apparel such as masks, hoodies, bags, you name it. Ohana means family and that's exactly why we started Ohana Screen Printing, to bring our family and community together through creative expression. We look forward to adding you to our family. Rest assured that when you do business with Ohana Screen Printing, that your dollars stay local as we are a family-owned business based right here in Mansfield. If you're part of a business, organization, or sports team looking to make a visual presence, hit us up on Facebook or ohanascreenprinting.com. That's ohanascreenprinting.com. Hi, I'm Carmen McMillan, Executive Director of Mansfield Mission Center. 
inviting you to make our thrift store your one stop for shopping, donating, and volunteering. When neighbors buy your donations, the proceeds help other Mansfield neighbors in need with free services including financial assistance, employment help, food, medical, dental, and vision care. Voted Best Thrift Store in 2019 by Living Magazine, the Mansfield Mission Center Thrift Store is located at Broad and Walnut Creek. For more details, visit our website at mansfieldmission.org. That's mansfieldmission.org. Hello, I'm City Manager Joe Smolinski, and you're listening to About Mansfield. Welcome back to About Mansfield, your audio newspaper. Let's open up the features section. Let's head on over to the science desk where reporter Dennis Webb ponders the question, do you believe in science? Dennis? Thank you, Steve. Do you believe in science? It is a question recently popular given the current debate over the epidemic, but it goes back to the founding of our nation on the tale of the end of the scientific revolution, a part of what has been called the Enlightenment, a social movement in Europe that led to modern science. The scientific method itself has little to do with the essential human notion of belief, but as people are involved, even at the highest level of scientific achievement, opinions and beliefs are naturally part of the discussion. So let me describe the scientific method which is at the center of this question. First, it starts with a question, such as, why is the sky blue? Second, from research, inference, or insight, the scientist forms a hypothesis. I think the sky is blue from some kind of interaction between sunlight and the atmosphere we breathe. Third, after more research and thought, the scientist makes a prediction. The sky is blue because the sunlight is scattered by molecules in the air, and somehow we see more blue than other colors. Fourth, the scientist proposes a test or an experiment. For example, this might include measuring all the wavelengths of light we see from the sky. It's a lot more complicated than red, green, blue on our screens. As well as experiments on lab to understand the scattering mechanism in a way we can measure. Fifth, the scientist analyzes the measurements produced by the experiment to see if it agrees with the original prediction. As often happens, the prediction fails and the scientist goes back to an earlier step, usually having learned some new things from the failed experiments. When the scientist is confident that they have a confirmation of the prediction, a paper gets written, submitted to journals, and if the publisher thinks it's a good work after soliciting some review by other people knowledgeable about this, the paper gets published. Other scientists try to replicate the experiment, sometimes finding the prediction or results are wrong, or often learning new things about the original question. This is a painfully slow process, but over years, new insights are added, and eventually most scientists disagree on why the sky is blue. Blue light scatters in the air more than red light. Whatever device you are using to listen to this podcast is a product of thousands of scientific and engineering breakthroughs, building stepwise over decades to the device that lets you hear me ramble on. The scientific method is itself a neutral tool for figuring things out. However, as all the steps involve human beings, usually under pressure involving money, time, and career achievement, it can go off the rails. The promotion of good science science and the rejection of bad science comes from the peer review process, itself an imperfect system involving human beings. But across my nearly 70 years of life, we have gotten good things like better medical treatment and recently smartphones, as well as bad things like nuclear and biological weapons. A particular scientific insight can be used for good or evil. These are subjective judgments we all get to make as Americans. This is why the question, do you believe in science, is interesting. 
And I will explore some threads of, of the history of this question in coming weeks as together we grapple with the deeper meaning of the question. If you have any questions about science, send an email to info at aboutmansfield.com. From the Science Desk at About Mansfield, I'm Dennis Webb. It's time right now for the Texas Health Tip of the Week, sponsored by Texas Health Hospital, located at 287 and Lone Star Road. Here's health specialist Katrina Brown with our Texas Health Tip of the Week. Katrina. As you know, our bodies rely on food for energy, so it's normal to feel hungry if you don't eat for a few hours. But if your stomach has a constant rumble, even after a meal, something could be going on with your health. The medical term for extreme hunger is polyphagia. If you feel hungry all the time, see your doctor. Several things could be causing this. Diabetes for one, your body turns the sugar in food into fuel called glucose. But when you have diabetes, glucose can't reach your cells. Your body pees it out instead and tells you to eat more. People who have type 1 diabetes in particular may eat large amounts of food and still lose weight. Low blood sugar is another one, or hypoglycemia, is what you have when the glucose in your body drops to a very low level. It's a common concern for people with diabetes, but other health problems can cause it too. They include hepatitis, kidney disorders, tumors in your pancreas, and problems with your adrenal or pituitary glands. In severe cases, people with hypoglycemia may seem drunk. They may slur their words and have trouble walking. They may be sweating and shaking. If this is the case, they need immediate help and you should call 911. There are a multitude of health-related issues that affect your appetite in a variety of ways. If you're gaining or losing a significant amount of weight unintentionally, you should see your doctor right away. One reason we feel hungry that may seem strange is lack of sleep. Not getting enough rest can affect the hormones in your body that control hunger. People who are sleep-deprived have a bigger appetite and find it harder to feel full. You're also more likely to crave high-fat, high-calorie foods when you're tired because you're looking for that magical boost of fuel we call carbs. Next, have you ever heard of stress eating? It's a real thing. When you're anxious or tense, your body releases a hormone called cortisol. This amps up your feeling of hunger. Many people under stress also crave foods high in sugar, fat, or both. It may be your body's attempt to shut off the part of your brain that causes you to worry. And finally, one that probably makes the most sense as to why you don't stay full very long after a meal, this is what you eat. Not all foods fill you up the same way. The ones that curb hunger best are high in protein, like lean meats, fish, or dairy products, or high in fiber. Good sources of fiber are fruit, vegetables, whole grains, and beans. Healthy fats like those found in nuts, fish, and sunflower oil can lower your cholesterol levels. They're a key to a balanced diet and can help you feel satisfied after you eat. Pastries, white bread, many packaged meals, and fast foods lack these nutrients, but are high in fat and unhealthy carbs. If you eat a lot of these, you could find yourself feeling hungry again soon after a meal, and you may end up eating more than you should. Also, what you're drinking with your meal can affect how long you feel satisfied. Opt for water during your meals. Avoid soda, which increases bloating when consumed with foods. Also, avoid even diet soda if possible. I know many people drink sugar-free sodas to cut back on calories to lose weight, but the fake sugar in these drinks tells your body to expect calories it can use for fuel. When your body doesn't get any, it turns on your hunger switch and tells you to get calories from food instead, ultimately leading you to the fridge between meals. 
Lastly, you might feel fuller after a meal if you take more time to chew and enjoy your food, rather than eating it quickly. We've all heard that it takes about 20 minutes for food eaten to register with your brain. It's true. It takes about that long for your digestive system to break down the incoming meal into nutrients so that they can enter the bloodstream. From here, a signal is sent to your brain that sustenance has arrived. It's that little ah that you feel when your hunger is being quenched. So take time to savor the flavors and make every bite count. Until next time, stay healthy, Mansfield. On behalf of Texas Health Hospital Mansfield and reporting for the About Mansfield podcast, I'm Katrina Brown. Brian Certain is here once again to serve up something special. Here's the cocktail of the week. Brian? This week's cocktail of the week is the kamikaze. The kamikaze cocktail is a drink that belongs in the great family of sour cocktails, namely a spirit in this case vodka, plus triple sec, plus a lime or lemon juice. For this particular cocktail, we're going to use three parts of each for a cocktail, packed with a compact and precise elegance. The recipe of the kamikaze is all played on the sweet and sharp flavors of the triple sec that weave the flavor, textures, and freshness of the lime. Vodka has a neutral flavor, but with its alcoholic thickness, sustains the whole cocktail, making it smooth. If you want to view it from another angle, you could say that the kamikaze cocktail is a margarita made with vodka instead of tequila. But it would be a shame to reduce it to that simple variation since it's not only one of the most famous cocktails, but it's also, in my opinion, one of the finest and most drinkable, especially before dinner or as an aperitif. The history of the cocktail is dark, and it's assumed that it was born after World War II in Tokyo in a bar of an American military base during the occupation of Japan. Others, including me, think it probably came out of the 70s and considered a classic disco cocktail. The word kamikaze in chase Japanese translate to a divine wind, and unlike many other cocktails, this drink can be joined three different ways, straight up as a shot, or on the rocks. But as always, don't worry about taking notes as I'm giving out the ingredients and the instructions. They're always posted on bourbongospel.com. So this week, the kamikaze, the ingredients. You're going to have three ounces of vodka, three ounces of triple sec, and three ounces of fresh lime juice. You're going to chill a martini glass, as I've said many times. You're going to put ice and water in it, set it aside, let the glass get nice and cold. In a shaker, fill it with ice, pour in your lime, your vodka, and then the triple sec. Shake vigorously for about 20 seconds and then pour into the strained martini glass. And now you're ready to serve and taste one of the best sours of all time. If you want to garnish the glass with a lime slice, feel free. But starting this week, the Cocktail of the Week is proudly sponsored by The Vault, located at 2300 Matlock Road at the corner of Country Club and Matlock. You don't have all the ingredients for this week's cocktail? Head over to The Vault, where one of their craftsmen will shake or stir or strain our featured About Mansfield Cocktail of the Week for you. As always, I'm open to hear your take and your input. You can reach me at bourbongospel at gmail.com. And until next week, as Mark Twain said, too much of anything is bad, but too much whiskey is barely enough. Reporting for the About Mansfield podcast, 
I'm Brian Certain. Congratulations to Richard Nevins, who was the first person to email the correct answer to last week's trivia question. Name a one-of-a-kind business in Mansfield. Let's go to the source. Hi, I'm Adam Larson, Director of Operations at the Star Center Mansfield. And being the only ice rink within Mansfield city limits, we are indeed a one-of-a-kind local business. Richard has won a $25 gift card to the restaurant of his choice, courtesy of Mansfield Overhead Door. After the break, this week's trivia question. I'm Colleen Daniel, and this is about Mansfield. The Texas Health Tip of the Week was sponsored by Texas Health Hospital, located at 287 and Lone Star Road. Introducing Texas Health Hospital Mansfield, an all-new, all-modern healthcare campus, now serving Mansfield and our nearby communities. With advanced care for women and infants, orthopedics, heart and vascular, a 24-7 ER, and more. Experience care you'll love right where you love living. Texas Health Mansfield, now open at 287 and Lone Star Road. Learn more at texashealth.org backslash Mansfield. Hey, it's Steve Casillo, and I want to take a second to tell you about Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. It's where we record and produce the About Mansfield episodes. Podcast Mansfield is a full-service studio with recording, editing, mixing, and mastering capabilities. can even help market your podcast. Podcast Mansfield is home to such great locally produced shows, such as Ask Philip, On the Mark, Grown and Unfiltered, and Daughter of the Other Woman, just to name a few, and handles post-production duties for remote clients such as Coaching Through Chaos out of San Diego and Epic Voices and Conversations from Palm Springs. So whether you're a hands-on person who just needs a place to record your podcast or need advice from concept to completion, Podcast Mansfield is there to help. Conveniently located on Heritage Parkway just off of 287 right here in Mansfield, mention the About Mansfield podcast and you get to record your first episode at no charge. For more information on starting your podcast or if you're just looking for a better place to record podcast mansfield recording studio can be found on the internet at podcastmansfield.com that's podcastmansfield.com hello this is mayor michael evans and you're listening to about mansfield it's time right now for the highly coveted wildly popular about mansfield trivia question the first person to email the correct answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com, we'll receive $25 in Primo bucks, good at either El Primo's or the newly opened The Vault. Located in Heritage Plaza on the corner of Matlock and Country Club Drive, it's where the locals go, whether it's for fajitas and a blue margarita or a juicy ribeye and a handcrafted cocktail. You can find them on the internet at elprimos.net. Let's get to this week's question, Colleen. This week's trivia question is more of a request. Be the first person to email a home improvement question for the Ask Terry segment for your chance to win. Email your question to trivia at aboutmansfield.com. Again, a $25 restaurant gift card to your choice of El Primo's or The Vault goes to the first person to email a home improvement question for the Ask Terry segment. Good luck, and thanks to Lindsay at El Primo's for the gift card. Welcome back to another segment of About Mansfield. I'm Steve Casillo as we make the transition from news to talk. And in the studio today, normally when I do these one-on-one in-studio interviews, we are talking about the person and the life of the person. And in the case today, we are actually talking about a specific topic. 
Each year, Americans observe National Hispanic Heritage Month from September 15th to October 15th by celebrating the histories, cultures, contributions of American citizens whose ancestors came from Spain, Mexico, the Caribbean, Central or South America. The observation started in 1968 as Hispanic Heritage Week under President Lyndon B. Johnson, was expanded by President Ronald Reagan in 1988 to cover a 30-day period starting on September 15th, which is significant because September 15th is the anniversary of the independence for Latin American countries, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua. In addition, Mexico and Chile celebrate their independence days on September 16th and September 18th, respectively. And also within that 30-day period is Dia de la Raza on October 12th. We welcome to the studio today, uh, he was born and raised in Beeville, Texas, which is about two hours from the Mexican border down uh, toward, if you're headed toward Laredo, uh, and about an hour south of Corpus Christi. Welcome, Daryl Perez to About Mansfield. Glad to be here. feel honored to be here, sitting in this chair that so many other uh, prestigious people have uh, sat in before me. So, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about not only Hispanic Heritage Month, but the the life and the culture and the music and just uh, pretty much about the, the the Mexican way of life. You you grew up in a Mexican household. Let's, so, let's start with you and talk about your, your family heritage. Where did they come from, and how did they wind up in Beeville, Texas? Okay, so um, on my f- father's side, my grandparents, well, actually, my great-grandparents um, are uh, from San Luis Potosi in Mexico, and uh, they mag- migrated here, or immigrated here, um, you know, my grandparents were 100, you know, my grandfather's 103 years old when he passed away, so it's been a while, yeah. uh, but my grandparents were first generation uh, born here on my father's side, and then my mother's side of the family, her family is from Zacatecas, Mexico, and my mother is first generation uh, on her side of the family, so um, yeah, roots, our roots come from Mexico, and um, they, both sides of the family lived in Beeville, and uh, when my parents met, and um, uh, and so, yeah, so we, we've, you know, most of our family was, uh, is from that area and from Beville. And again, your, your, your dad's, your grandfather is from? From San Luis Potosi. Okay. Give us a general location of where that is in, in Mexico. If I can remember correctly. So if you look at Mexico on the maps uh, and, and focus centrally in the middle of Mexico, it's going to be kind of on the north um, western part of, of, of Mexico. And Zacatecas, your grandmother's side, roughly. Yeah, I would. I believe it's in the same area. So okay. I mean, I've, I've never. I've looked at it on the map, but it's been so long ago. I can't honestly remember. Give us an idea, the listeners, an idea of uh, growing up in pretty, pretty much a traditional Mexican home. Um, Let's start with cooking. Um, yeah, so cooking in our family is very important. Uh, you know, everything that we do is is around food. You, you know, the, the nice thing about the, the tradition um, that I've always seen growing up is when people come over to visit, you're always greeted with food. So you, you know, stop by, and it's it's hilarious in in a sense because you know. 
I remember people coming over. I've gone over to other, you know, friends and family's homes, and they'll, you know, ask you to sit down. They'll ask you, "Are you hungry? You want something to eat?" And you tell them no. But in the entire time you're talking, because usually at the kitchen table or the dining table, the entire time you're talking, they're preparing a meal anyway. So before you even leave the house, you're sitting down eating something, right? And and even though you said you weren't hungry, so food is very important. And um, and so as kids, we were we were taught how to cook. Uh, my mother and my, of course, through. From when she was taught, everything that uh, she made was from scratch, and so the tortillas that she made, the the recipes that she made, uh, everything was you know was prepared in house. And when we would come home from school, I didn't realize she was teaching us to cook, but she would you know ask us about our day, and we would stand in the kitchen and tell her what we did in school, and she'd put us you know chop this, chop that, and then she would you know add this <laughs> and add that, and you know and before we knew it, when I moved out on my own, I I I would just have to call my mom and to remind me of what recipe, you know, what spices went in and and I knew how to prepare food. Um, And so it's, you know, for the men in our family, you know, most of the men in our family know how to cook. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, my, you know, sisters and everybody know how to cook as well, but it's it's just been very, very important part. And it still is. I mean, and, and, you know, when you taste very good, authentic food, it just takes you back. uh, Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, For the listeners, I'm pretty much as white bread as they come, but I am married to a Mexican. My wife was born in Baja, California. She immigrated to the United States at uh, nine years old. So my my late mother-in-law and my father-in-law were born and raised in uh, in Mexico and. And so a lot of these traditions also have come into my home. And uh, I also have uh, the jury still out on whether she was Spanish from Spain or Mexican. Uh, but my grandmother uh, Rita, uh, Madrid. Now mm-hmm. Madrid may have come from Spain, not sure, but the tradition in my home was, uh, grandma and grandpa used to come down from Northern California down to San Diego where we lived at, for Christmas every year. And, uh, and it was always tamales and, and enchiladas. And she spent hours and hours and hours in the kitchen making, uh, and you're right. Food is extremely important. Um, uh, and, and later in the episode, I'll tell you about one of my neighbors, and food mm-hmm. and fiestas, uh, backyard parties. Um, growing up in Beeville, predominantly a Mexican community. Yeah, I mean, um, there's. It's pretty. It was pretty. You know, it's a small farming town. Yeah. So you know, you know, in you know, you had a lot of Hispanic uh, folks there. It was. Uh, I would, if I had to guess a percentage, I would say it was almost fifty fifty, maybe sixty forty. Uh, you know, majority Hispanic, um, and so um, you know, it's it's yeah, it, it's it's it's. Uh, we had a lot of Hispanic folks there, and as you get further south, you know that increases as well. But uh, but I do I do want to correct you from earlier. We are a about an hour north of Corpus Christi. What did I say? Uh, south. Okay. And we're about an hour. Well, now it's ninety minutes, uh, hour and a half south of San Antonio, Beeville. It's about as big as it sounds. I stand corrected. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. Uh, let's talk about the word Hispanic, okay. uh, because you mentioned it a few times versus the word Latino or even Chicano um, in Beeville. What is the, the preferred term? So growing up, we always called ourselves Mexican yes. um, because we, you know, we were, uh, you know, we're Mexican descent. Uh, as I've gotten older, uh, you know, moving from a small town to a larger town and, and you know, 
in the workforce and so forth, you know, the, the term changes over time. And so what I interpret it now is that, um, you know, you have a, a lot of uh, folks here who are first gen, you know, who are who have uh, immigrated here from Mexico who call themselves Mexicans. And mm-hmm. so, and I've been corrected by Mexicans. That's why I, I, I know this <laughs> because if I, you know, it was, it was, if I'm not from Mexico, I'm not Mexican, then that would make me Latino or Hispanic. And so growing up, the, the alternative word was Hispanic and that's kind of stuck with me, you know, from that point. And, and um, but I, you know, I guess more out of habit, I call myself his, you know, Hispanic than, than anything. I think it's regional as well yeah. um, because Chicano wasn't really, I think you know I've, when I've heard that term, it's been you know either in movies or things like that that are more California or you know West Coast, um, but it wasn't really a term that was used very often where we were from. Right, and Chicano is it, it, again coming back from from San Diego. Um, there is just south of downtown what's called Chicano Park, and that's uh, which has actually become a national landmark. And that's where you find the, the low riders, mm-hmm. uh, tremendous murals uh, on uh, on the pillars of the Coronado Bay Bridge are these these fantastic murals. And um, and that's part of the Mexican art is, uh, you know, whether the, the clay pottery or uh, the, the paintings or the calaveras. But uh, this the murals mm-hmm. are. Uh, just w- one of the ways of expressing Mex- Mexican art. Chicano Park, uh, again, with with the lowriders, that's where the cholos hang out. Right. Were yeah. you a cholo? I was not a cholo, um, but I used to go to the lowrider shows uh, when I was a kid. Um, my describe, cholo- by the way, describe to the listeners what a cholo is. So a cholo is, um, so it's... So a cholo is somebody who uh, is in. Well, the way I looked at it was they you were you know in the lowrider group. So it was more like a, a club or a, a scene, and so they dress very particular. Um, you know, they typically you were wearing khaki, you know, baggy khaki pants. You would wear um, a t-shirt, and then your overshirt on top was typically buttoned on the top button with all the other buttons unbuttoned. Um, you always had a, a hat, you know, kind of. Um, uh, What's the uh, the Frank Sinatra t- or you know what's the uh, the fedora kind of yeah. hat? Yeah. Not necessarily. Usually, it was a straw hat or something, or, or, like or that. even yeah. a bandana, or a bandana. Yeah, yeah. Um, as well. And so that was kind of um, that. Just the attire let you know that that you were a cholo, or, <laughs> or and then of course they'd pull up in their cars, you know, lifting up the front end or or whatever. But the car shows are really really neat. As kids, you know, people gather in the park and, and show off, you know, the chandeliers and in the inside of the car. And and, and uh, all the different paint schemes, and so um, you know, you're talking about art. You know, that was an expression, also you, uh, uh, an artistic expression for them. You know, what they did with their cars. Oh, and, sure. Yeah, and so the colors. You know, we talk about the artwork and the murals. I mean, it's just you know, you, you look at art and see this particular colors and how they're displayed, and and you know right away that it's it's Mexican art or Mexican inspired. When I was on vacation many, oh God, probably 20 years ago. I was driving an old beat up van uh, that uh, that was the family wagon, and we uh, loaded up the family with also some neighbors of mine that were from Mexico. They wanted me to experience their family and their community in Mexico, and we we drove drove uh, from Tucson, which was our overnight stop. We drove twelve hours into Mexico, and. 
while we were there, uh, my neighbor's brother said, you know, it looks like your, your van could use a paint job. I have a friend down the street that does it. And yeah, great, great. Okay. Uh, uh, paid the guy some cash, a couple hundred dollars. And he says, dark blue, dark blue. And it came back sparkly dark blue. An expression of yeah. of art when you, when you mentioned the the low rider cars sure. and uh, the first thing I think of is sparkled paint right oh yeah exactly with all the fleck in it and uh, and yeah. that's the way I got my van back was sparkly so, dark blue so how'd you like it <laughs> it stood out yeah for sure <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, but yeah, the cholos in our town, uh, you know, was, we had, our town was like you know any other small town. Everything's kind of divided in sections, and so we grew up. Uh, we were uh, a navy town, and so where where I lived, where my home was in in that part of Beeville, was we were the only Hispanic family on our neighborhood, hmm. and so uh, growing up, you know, we would have you know my mom would send us to school. You know, we'd take our school lunch, and she would pack. Tacos, you know, so they were, you know, right. beans and 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 tortilla and and uh, it was funny as my mom used to take the um, the bread, the plastic from the bread, yeah, you know, and then she would use those, you know, that kind of stuff and wrap our tacos and or foil and things like that, and so she'd send us out with these lunch. Well, at the lunch, you know, we're eating lunch. My friends would whip out their little bag and you know everything was in a ziploc, and here I got this, you know. Five pounds of foil wrapped around <laughs> my uh, my taco, and then you would open it up, and my friends would be like, "What? What is that? You know, it's got all those burn spots or brown spots oh, on yeah. it, you know, because they weren't familiar with it." Um, and so, uh, but our neighbors across the street who were Anglo, uh, you know, when we when the kids would come over and play, my mom would bring out, you know, chile con queso and chips and all that kind of stuff for us to snack on. And they loved it because they'd never eaten that before. And so, you know, other moms in the neighborhood would come to my mom's house and say, you know, our, our daughters were telling us about this, you know, cheese dip that they were eating. And so she'd share <laughs> recipes with them. And so, uh, but, you know, now, you you know, everywhere you go, you get chips and queso and, you know, and all of that. But it was, it was a little but different. Queso is also a regional thing because you don't find it in Southern California. Mm. And a friend of mine who used to live in Mansfield, she called me up, says, hey, guess what? I'm moving to San Diego. And I said, all right, number one, do not go to a Mexican restaurant and order queso. Or they will bring you a bowl of cheese, of shredded cheese. Oh, and yeah. wouldn't you know, about two months later, she sends me a text. I was sitting at a Mexican restaurant, and we asked for a bowl of queso. And she sends me a photo. It's a it's a bowl of shredded cheese. And I so said, you have I, to ask specifically, like chile con queso, or I. No, it's just something that we've never in in California. It's it, to us, it's nacho cheese. Ah, gotcha. And so it's it's not really something that you would go into a restaurant and order. Right. Although we've come to love it here in Texas. Oh my yeah. gosh, uh, who Torchy's Tacos has some outstanding queso. Gotcha. So, yeah, and you know, it's interesting you say that food being regional because even the Mexican food, you know. Uh, where where we grew up, and when I moved here, I used to you know would go out to restaurants and kind of judge the Mexican food based on what my mom had made, and so that to me that's how I determined whether it was good food or not to my liking. Um, but I did realize when I moved up north um, here that you know um, 
as you get a little further south, you have more of the San Antonio-style Mexican food, which is cooked with a lot of sauces and gravies and things like that. And then here, you know, the Mexican food, street tacos and all that kind of stuff we didn't grow up with. Um, but, uh, you know, that's more Mexican food from Mexico as opposed to Tex-Mex, that's what we usually eat around here. We talked a little bit about cooking, but we haven't talked specifically about food. Okay. And, oh, my gosh. Uh, and, and and again, regional versus nationally known, obviously the taco, the burrito, the tostada, but there's so much more to Mexican food than just what, generally speaking, Americans know. Uh, first, okay, first, as a Hispanic, a Latino, a Mexican... Does it offend you when fast food restaurants bastardize Mexican food, such as the Enchirito, the Doritos Locos Tacos, or the Quesarito? I'm not offended. I find it funny because I, it, every time Taco Bell would come out with a new a new item, I, would, I didn't say it was Taco Bell. Oh well, I'm talking Taco Bell specifically on this. The Enchirito, okay. I, I think, uh, is, yes. is a Taco All right. Bell. We are calling you trademarks. out. Um, but uh, yeah, I was. I would tell my wife, I'm like, never in my entire life have I ever heard anyone in our family mention an Enchirito before. Yeah, my wife will always say, "What the heck is an Enchirito?" Yeah. Before we get into what's what what I've labeled as word association, mm-hmm. uh, which in a lot of these are, are food terms. Um, Everything goes better with Abuela's Mexican chocolate. Uh, yeah, Mexican chocolate. It's because you get you don't just get the chocolate, but you get the cinnamon in it too. Right, and you just you know it just naturally goes together. Um, but my saying is everything tastes better in a tortilla. In so, a tortilla, yeah. okay. So the you know, and it's funny because you know Melissa Melissa being Anglo, um, it's like you know, especially with cooking. As long as I have a meat. I can, you know, I can prepare an entire meal, but any kind of meat always goes good in the tortilla. So, uh, yeah, you just can't go wrong with putting leftovers in a in a, in oh, a sure. tortilla. Yeah, we buy, we we will go to Costco and buy the. I think there are thirty five to a pack raw tortillas, but we will buy six or seven packs of those. So we're talking mm-hmm. a couple hundred tortillas versus. A loaf of bread, maybe once a month. And you're right. This, I haven't it, bought bread, honestly, and I can't tell you how long. We're, we're big sourdough bread people. We go to the the the, the big, the the newest mm-hmm. big grocery store, and uh, they make a great sourdough bread uh, loaf. But again maybe maybe once a month versus mm-hmm. the tortillas or staples in our house the first thing i learned to cook which was again going back to my grandmother was a quesadilla mm. that you take your tortilla sprinkle a little cheese put another tortilla on top melt the cheese and you're done yeah and yeah it's i guess the equivalent of a grilled cheese sandwich yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that's um, Mexican hamburgers. That's how we did. You just make a hamburger and put it between two tortillas and melt the cheese around it. Kind of seals it, and that's pretty good stuff. Oh, cheese is great for holding everything oh, together yeah, for sure. Uh, pan dulce. 
There are some locations around mm-hmm. town, the little uh, Mexican grocery stores, one on uh, Main Street by Legacy High School, that you go in and there's a big cabinet full of wonderful Mexican pastries. Mm-hmm. And you take the tongs and you, you uh, do you have a favorite uh, Empa- pan dulce? Empanadas are my favorite. The empan- and uh, yeah, and they're typically, um, you know, it looks like a, a taco. You know, mm-hmm. in, in its shape, and uh, but it's, it's a pastry, and it's typically stuffed with either sweet potato or pumpkin. Um, now they make them with pineapple and pretty much apple and peaches and other things like that. But um, the pumpkin is my favorite. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The, we make homemade empanadas, but they're for dinner, and so we'll put them uh, very, very. Uh, Small minced uh, potatoes along with ground beef mm-hmm. and uh, onion, bell pepper, salt pepper, and and then deep fry them. We've been doing those for decades. Well, my wife and I've been married thirty some years, and it's one of the first things that she taught me how to make was was empanadas for dinner. But I've mm. never had a dessert. I've never had empanadas for dinner. Ours was always a, uh, it was a pastry. You and I ought to get together yeah. for dinner exactly. sometime. Right. You, I'll bring the pastry. You bring the dessert. I'll cook the dinner. They're always hard to find around here, and I look for them. And you know, the imp, the pan uh, de dulce is you know we call it was um, always a, a weekend thing because you know the, the bakeries in the area only made them on the weekend. And so, uh, yeah. but here you know you can go in any day of the week. But I can never find the empanadas with pumpkin. They're they're rare. Word association. So I'm going to mention some some words. Mm-hmm. And if you have a story, or maybe if you want to tell the audience what they are um, behind it, let's start with sopes. So, sopes um, again is I think that's more of a regional thing because where we grew up, it wasn't it wasn't something that we um, we never had sopes. Okay, um, I still get confused with what it is because there's sopes. You know, like that's either if you're talking about rice in that sense, or you're talking about the corn tortilla that has the the beans and yes, you know, on top, and it's kind of like um, it would be like a Mexican rice cake, but not crispy. <laughs> you know, that's what I it reminds me. I think it's me. actually yeah. made out of, out of uh, corn. It's made of t- uh, tamale masa. Yeah, and they form it into a, a, like a little disc. Right. That's what it reminds me of. I, I always right. think of a rice cake in terms of its shape. Oh, you know, yes, just yes, round yes, and thickness. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and then it's got, but we, you know, we ate uh, tostadas, which was, you know, you fry the, the, the corn tortilla and, and made it mm-hmm. crispy and then put your beans and cheese and all that stuff on top. And that, that's what we had growing up. But. And here, the, one of the first restaurants that we went to when we moved here 17 years ago, it was a Mexican restaurant, and we asked for a tostada for my daughter. And the waitress looked at us like we were crazy, like she had never heard of it before. And I said, come on, it's a hard corn tortilla with, with flat and beans and, and cheese and stuff. She goes, oh, a chalupa. That's what we call them, chalupa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We had never never heard that term before. And again, regional right. things. Tostadas in California, chalupas in Texas. Uh, but it they're all the same thing. Yeah. I, the first time I ordered tostadas here, it came, you know, and, and then I was like, oh, this is a chalupa. Yeah. It was a, the same thing. I just called it something different here. And uh, huaraches, uh, another Mexican dish. Not not the sandals. Yeah, that's I only know it is the sandals. Okay, yeah. um, and I'm 
I think Main Street Tacos serves them. They are actually a larger corn tortilla in the shape of a sandal or or even mm-hmm. a football, uh, kind of oval shaped. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing where where food is served flat on this uh, on this tortilla, uh, the meat and then everything else on on top of it, the huaraches because of the shape yeah. of, of the tortilla. Um, certainly one elote. Oh yeah, elotes. Elotes. Um, also a regional thing. Uh, so this is so these everything we're, we're, we've gone over so far is more. You know Mexico, uh, then you know Tex-Mex, uh, and uh, but the first time I had in Lotus was at uh, Trader's Village. Trader's Village, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I used to just go there just for the corn, pay two bucks so I can get in, so I can get you know go and get the roasted corn that they had. Um, but oh, I love it. It's just that, that and that's that's memory comes. That's what it reminds me of of going to the to the trade place there and having. Having roasted corn now it's so much easier in a cup. You know, to deal oh, with yeah. eating it off of a cob. Was Spanish spoken in your house? It was. Yeah. Um, my parents spoke to us in Spanish. They didn't require us to speak back in Spanish, mm-hmm. so I knew everything in Spanish. But I spoke broken Spanish when I tried to speak back. Um, as I got older, I, I started, you know, learned more Spanish. I had a, a place I worked at. Um, the porter that that worked there didn't speak English, and so I taught him English, and he taught me my Spanish. And so we would communicate. <laughs> I could only talk to him in. Spanish, and he can only talk to me in English, and then we would fix each other's, um, you know, uh, language, uh, uh, you know, and and that's how I learned to to really speak it fluently. Um, but my grandparents on my mother's side did not speak any English at all. So when we would go visit, yeah, or when they would babysit us, you know, when my parents were going somewhere, we had to try to speak Spanish to them. But we understand everything that's spoken to us, and. Everyone in the neighborhood was Catholic? Um, in our neighborhood, well, in our family, yes. Yeah. I mean, 99% of our family is is, is, is Catholic. Um, as we got older and, you know, each each of us go in our own way, we've, you know, some of us have changed denominations and, sure. uh, yeah, but, but we were all raised Catholic and we didn't have a say-so. Uh, we went to church every Sunday and, and, uh, and you know, we were... That, that was just part of growing up. And one of the the traditions, the Catholic, the Mexican Catholic wedding, mm-hmm. uh, the lasso, the passing of the coins. Um, I don't know if you experienced any of those. No, in, uh, more the tradition for us was the party, the celebration. The party. Yeah. Well, and which is more, yeah. which is more than just a three-hour reception. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you did the, the wedding itself. The ceremony, you know, was it was done in the Catholic Church, you know, according to the Catholic ritual. Uh, afterwards, it was just a big party, and um, and everybody, uh, you know, just celebrated till the last person left. Right. There's never an end time to to the party until everyone's gone. All right. So a wedding invitation goes out to, say, um, uh, one of your family members. Mm -hmm. The invitation is addressed to Mr. and Mrs., let's say, Perez. Mm -hmm. How many people show up off of that one wedding invitation? 
Yeah, so it's you're you're just so we are all heads of families. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So by inviting the head, you by default, everyone underneath is also considered and uh, you know is given an invitation, including boyfriends and girlfriends. Exactly. And, and yeah. That uh, fifteen people may show up off of one wedding invitation. Exactly. Which yeah. happened to us. And it, yeah. you know, and it's not frowned upon because there's always it's always you know the more people, the merrier the occasion because it's hospitality, and that also yeah. kind of goes back to food, mm-hmm. that the hospitality, and, and I, I was telling you about this this vacation that, that we took. My neighbors back when I lived in San Diego, my neighbors across the, th- the street were from this town 12 hours south of Tucson. So we finally roll into this little Puebla of maybe four streets by four streets. They're all dirt streets. None of them have names. And... We pull up to the house. It's nine o'clock at night. Been traveling all day. We come into the house and we are asked to sit at the dinner table. There are six of us that were in the van, finally sitting at the dinner table. And the sister of our neighbor, who was the resident there in Mexico, greets us with a platter of about 25 just little mini tacos, mm-hmm. rice and beans, enjoy. And, and, you know, we're trying to speak our best Spanish. We devoured those in a second. Here comes platter number two. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm getting kind of full. And my wife looks at me and says, do not insult the cook. Eat. Okay. Turns out they made 100 mini tacos. And finally, I had to say, no mas, no mas. This, wow. <laughs> I tapped out. Yeah. Uh, but that's part of the hospitality. And, and food, mm-hmm. being part of that hospitality is... Another part of that hospitality was the neighbor... Uh, okay, so down in, in on that same vacation, a neighbor a few miles away heard that this family was having guests in from 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 the United States mm-hmm. and asked to host a dinner for us which is something i don't see in america that that um if my next door neighbor had guests in town it doesn't seem proper for me to invite my next door neighbor and their guests over to my house right. for dinner right but that's the mexican culture it is very inviting. Um, you know, if you, uh, especially in an area where you have several families, you know, that, um, because that's kind of what bonds uh, all the families together, you know, and, and especially where people, if, the, if they're from the same area as you, they never may have met you, and even generations, second or third generations, but if you're from that same area, I mean, you're just, it's just, it's like you instantly have a bond. Um, and so families, you know, family's very, very important, and so family takes care of family. So when you're, when you have that bond with someone, even though they're not blood related, uh, you're still considered family. And so uh, the same, you extend the same you know, um, you, you, the same it's the same goes out to everybody as it right. were, you know, as if it were your own own blood family. Yeah, and of course, before the wedding, uh, the bride uh, normally goes through the quinceañera at age fifteen, right? And describe to the listener what a quinceañera is and and what a big uh, tradition that is for the Mexican right. family. Right. So the quinceañera can um, is is it's a 
it's a celebration from you know from childhood to adulthood for a young lady. It's kind of like the sweet sixteen that people celebrate. It's at fifteen years old. Uh, it, it's it's. It's celebrated just as so much as a wedding would be. I mean, so the mm-hmm. expense of it can be very, very extravagant. I mean, these can be, it can be very extravagant and, and very costly. Uh, but it is, you know, it's and everybody's invited. I mean, this is <laughs> oh yeah, know, yeah yeah. Again, the more people, the, the merrier. But this is a very, very proud occasion for the, for the um, parents. Uh, and so um, you know, and it and it's it it's just like a wedding. You know, you have you know, like a wedding would have groomsmen and bridesmaids. You know, the uh, you know you. Have have your the, her friends, you her know, that basically yeah, yeah, the court that would that would serve in, the, in that same capacity, and and it's you know there's the whole ritual, and then it all ends with the big celebration, and um, you know sometimes as I get older, I you know look back, I start to to realize that a lot of these things that we did, I think they were uh, more reasons for the adults to have. You know, uh, parties and get-togethers, and, and you know, and, and so, and you know, they did it for the kids, but that that stops at five o'clock, and then from five o'clock, while all the the friends are here, we're gonna we'll continue till three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> we are we are guilty of that as well. Right. In fact, my wife and I were talking about that last week. Both my daughter and my son had one-year-old birthday parties when they were one year old. Both of them had live bands. Mm-hmm. Both of them had about 70, 75 people. Uh, we brought in a guy who who did paella catering, had this massive uh, unit where, it, and that was a show in itself of mm-hmm. watching him create the paella. But yeah, it was obviously more for the parents and, and our guests because at one year old, they're not going to remember the party. Yeah, and we did that. Yeah, for for both of uh, both of our kids. But the uh, the daughters, they traditional in traditional families, they 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 look forward to that. I mean, it's a that's a big deal for them. The quinceanera. Yeah, the quinceanera. Was Dia de los Muertos ever celebrated or acknowledged in your house? It wasn't. No. Uh, no, and and I really didn't know. Uh, about it until I got older and, and you know started seeing um, you know I, I I was in the funeral business for 25 years right. and so you and and you know where the funeral homes that I started in where I did my internship and and where I worked in for the first you know seven to ten years of of my life were uh, primarily Hispanic funeral homes and so you know uh, uh, you would see all. You know, different cultures from different parts of Mexico up into you know to Texan uh, to Mex you know Tejanos, uh, and um, and so uh, yeah. But Dia de los Muertos was it was it was new to me, and um, and so but it wasn't celebrated when we were growing up. It's actually something that we do in our house that we remember. For instance, my wife's mom mm-hmm. and her aunt, uh, my grandparents, uh, with. Uh, the altar we actually create on our dinner table uh, the altar of uh, calaveras and candles mm-hmm. uh, marigolds uh, the pan de muerto which is really just a, a big loaf of bread mm-hmm. but a specific loaf of bread uh, and the photos of of the deceased and and uh, we say a little prayer and then uh, eat a traditional mexican wedding and that happens uh, the day after Halloween, so November 1st, Dia de los Muertos. We're talking with Mansfield resident Daryl Perez celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, which concludes next week, as does our interview, where we will talk about music, family values, the chancla, 
and conclude it with a lightning round. Until then, don't forget to follow this podcast if you haven't already so you never miss an episode. It's free and it's easy. Go to our website, aboutmansfield.com, and enter your email address right there on the homepage. We will never send you any spam. We promise. About Mansfield is recorded at Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. Hosts, Steve Casillo and Colleen Daniel. Reporters, Stacey Main and Dennis Webb. Moment with the Mayor feature, Michael Evans. Texas Health Tip, Katrina Brown. Home Improvement feature, Terry Radswin. Cocktail of the Week feature, Brian Certain. Post-production editing, mixing, and mastering, Steve Casillo and Jacob Atkinson. We thank you all for listening. On behalf of the entire news team, I'm Steve Casillo, and this is About Mansfield.